From the studios of Boise State Public Radio News, I'm Samantha Wright, filling in for Jim Goddard. It's Idaho Matters. It's Wednesday, and it's time for our Dr. Roundtable with Dr. David Pate. He's the former CEO of St. Luke's Health System. He's a current member of the Idaho Coronavirus Task Force. Dr. Pate, as always, thank you so much for joining us and giving us just a little bit of your time today. Oh, you're most welcome. Thank you, Samantha. Okay, so we started the Dr. Roundtable with the COVID uh, pandemic, obviously. And we have moved out and we cover so many other things now from dengue fever to polio to who knows what, whatever the health news of the day is. But Dr. Pate, you have never kept your eye off of COVID and you have been writing some very comprehensive blogs on SARS-CoV-2 and COVID-19. And the second one in the latest series about transmission characteristics of SARS caught my eye. And I think there's some things in here that we should talk about if you're up for it. Sure. Okay, so one of the things at the beginning of the pandemic um, was this idea of how SARS-CoV-2, COVID-19, got around, you know, how it went from place to place and person to person. And some of the initial information that I think we originally thought has changed over time. And one of the things you found is that it's transmitted through aerosols. So what is an aerosol and how does that work? Yeah, well, thanks, Samantha. And and that's the whole purpose of me now that we're in the fifth year of the pandemic, of course, we have we have learned so much and we know uh, we have much more clarity about some things that we did know back then. And then there's some things that we thought we uh, knew at that time that have turned out to be wrong. And so I wanted to do a blog series where I'm going to cover all kinds of topics related to SARS-CoV-2 and, and COVID and just summarize, okay, where have we ended up? What is it that we know? And you're right. This is one of the areas that was amiss. And I'm a little bit kicking myself. Uh, at the time, I relied on government assurances, uh, both uh, local and abroad, uh, telling us that this virus was transmitted by respiratory droplets. Now, uh, why would that matter? Well, if it's respiratory droplets, that's why we gave all the initial advice we did about, you know, staying six feet away from uh, others. And, uh, but in fact, uh, this virus is predominantly transmitted through aerosols, which is a very different matter and really we should have known that because other like viruses are translated by aerosols. So what's the difference? So if, if you hold up a mirror in front of yourself, if you're singing or speaking loudly, you'll look at the mirror afterwards and you'll be able to see little droplets of your spittle uh, or secretions that are on that mirror. Those are respiratory droplets. They're big. You can see them. They're heavy. They they just don't go very far in the air until they drop to the floor or on some surface. They can be increased by coughing. Uh, the louder you talk, yelling, those kind of things can 
increase the, the transmission, but it's, it's going to be people that are close to you. Aerosols, on the other hand, are, uh, this isn't a perfect analogy, but just imagine that you were holding up a can of hairspray or deodorant and you sprayed that. It's that fine mist. And, and the significance of that is aerosols are much lighter and therefore they travel on air streams. So if, Samantha, if you and I were both in a ballroom and let's say we were 50 feet apart, but we're in the ballroom and you have a highly contagious virus like SARS-CoV-2 or measles, something like that, and you're emitting it in the air, well, it can ride along in the airstream and travel all the way across the room to infect me. Mm. And uh, so that's the difference. Whereas if if you were transmitting purely by droplets, I, I would be fine 50 yards from away. There's no way a droplet's going to make it to me. But these aerosols, as long as the same ventilation is there, then that's of risk. And what I was finding when I was doing my school uh, rounds and looking to see about the precautions, once I realized, yeah, this is aerosol, not droplets, is so, so many times the teacher's desk was sitting right under the air return. Mm. What that means is all the air mm. in the room and the little precious ones uh, putting their germs in that air, it's all being directed right at the teacher to go up to the air return. So oh. have to uh, move their desks and get them away from that. Um, so this is an important difference. And I, I I, there's a lot of evidence that we have for this, but one uh, study that I put in here that really makes this point clear is a classroom in which the teacher was infected, um, uh, but didn't yet know it. And they were using masks, but when the teacher was going to read to the class, the teacher uh, took his or her mask off and to read so that uh, he or she could project his voice. And then what we were able to do in a really well done epidemiological investigation by the Marin County Public Health Department, what they determined is that 12 of the 24 students that were in that class tested positive between four and eight days after the teacher started having symptoms. And what they noticed is that the attack rate, in other words, the percentage of students that got infected, if they were sitting in the first two rows closest to the teacher's desk, it was an attack rate of 80%. Mm. However, even in the last three rows, so now you're way more than six feet away, four of the 14 students got infected. So that's exactly what you would expect with aerosol transmission. You're still with aerosol transmission, the closer you are to the source, you're still going to be at higher risk, uh, just like for um, droplets. But with aerosol, people now at the back of the room can get infected, as happened here. Wow. Um, and, and you had a, another study that you highlighted in this blog um, about uh, an international flight. It was a 10-hour flight, uh, air flight, and someone on the flight, had COVID, and and there's a wonderful diagram that you, you put in here of 
the people who got infected and how far away some of the people were from the original person who had COVID. Yes. So uh, this is a cool study, and we have more than one of this. You know, people assume that they are pretty safe on airplanes because airplanes in general have very good ventilation. But you have to keep in mind that ventilation system's only working at peak performance when the engine's on and has been on for a while. Mm. And oftentimes when you're sitting at the gate, when you're boarding the flight, the engines are not all the way on yet. Mm. And so you don't have great ventilation then. So that's why when I get on a plane, I always keep my mask on until we're well up at cruising altitude. And and even then, I only take it off briefly to eat or drink, and then I put, put it back on. But in this case, um, what we know is, uh, we know the source of the infection, because this was the only person who got on the plane and had symptoms. And then it was subsequently, everybody was tested, and so they know who got COVID and not. But this person sat up in the first class area or the business class area, and Um, she was symptomatic. Uh, She got on the plane. She was on one side of the plane. There were then at least three big rows going across the plane. And of course, all the rows that go all the way to the back of the plane. So while she was sitting in seat 5K in my diagram, (laughs) what we saw is that the attack rate, again, so this is the percentage of those people uh, that got infected, if they were also in business class, 62%. She she infected more than half. And again, some of these people were far more than six feet away. They were even on the other side of the plane and they got infected. Uh, but what was notable was uh, two individuals uh, sitting towards the middle of the plane, uh, one that was uh, uh, 15 rows back from this infected person. The other person was 16 rows back and they still got infected. So um, I think it's all really good, pretty conclusive. And there's many other studies uh, showing the same th- kind of thing that this is aerosol transmission, which is why uh, you know when, when we talk about schools, workplaces, Air handling systems are so important because what you want to do, since these the virus can remain suspended in the air streams, you want to increase the air changes per hour. And that's what I advised all the schools to do. Increase that because um, if you uh, the more you increase the air changes, then the faster you're getting the virus out of the air. You're not letting it stay suspended there. And then, of course, um, you don't want to recirculate air. You want to make sure it's exhausted to the outside. Uh, So same thing if you're in a car with somebody, make sure you're not recirculating the air. Push the button that takes the air and exhausts it. Um, And um, what you want to do is is make sure that you're uh, frequently changing that air. And then, of course, if you add help HEPA or MERV-13 filters or some other uh, filtering to get virus out of the air even better. Well, I think this is fascinating, not only um, to, to find this out, but I think it's very important what you're doing, looking at what we are finding out now, correcting any confusion or 
um, errors in, in, in what we knew then versus what we know now so that we can take the knowledge that we're finding out and apply it and not applying old knowledge and therefore causing problems. Well, thank you for that, Samantha. I, I agree. We need to do this look back. We need to you know, clarify, okay, what have we learned? What turned out to be true? What didn't? What have we learned? Because you're so right. We are going to have another pandemic. Mm-hmm. I mean, it, it just is a fact. We're going to. We've had one really nearly every seven to 10 years for the last number of decades. Uh, so, you know, chances are we're going to have one. And probably at the top of the list, uh, of, of my list at least, the top two are both going to be airborne viruses. Uh, and not to mention that we're dealing with a bunch of airborne viruses right now just because uh, so many people across the world are not getting their kids vaccines for diseases that we can prevent. And so we're seeing things like measles, which is highly uh, contagious and airborne. So it is important that we take stock and learn and see what can we learn about this, but what can we apply to the next one? All right, let's take just a couple of minutes and talk about incubation period, because this is also in your blog. And this is the amount of time from when you've been exposed to uh, to when you get symptoms. And this, I think this has caught my eye because so many of the questions that we had during the peak of the pandemic, when we were talking about this every Wednesday, were from people who lived in the same household or from people who were visiting family members. And, you know, um, my wife may have been exposed and then later got sick and then I got sick. Did I infect her? Did she infect me? Um, We heard this from so many different people, not to try and find a culprit in the household, but to try and find ways to keep people safe if possible. Um, Tell me what you found out about the incubation period. Yeah, well, you're exactly right. And understanding the incubation period and then something else that I refer to as the serial interval, and we'll talk about that in a second, can be very helpful to helping us understand, um, especially looking back, um, when did this person get infected? How did they get infected? Uh, especially as we're learning about this and trying to come up with guidance about isolation periods, quarantine periods, and so forth. Uh, and I remember many of those questions that you're talking mm-hmm. about when we got back many years ago. So the incubation period is just as you said. It's the time that if if you were exposed to the virus today, So somebody exposed you and infected you today. When is it that you would likely start showing symptoms? And that's called the incubation period. Now, back at the very beginning, uh, many people will remember that the uh, CDC came out and said it is two to 14 days. And, um, And that's exactly what the science was telling us. Now, a lot of people will say, wow, that is a huge range. And and that's true. And that's often the case for many infections, that there can be a range like that. 
Um, and I'm not sure why somebody gets it, gets symptoms in two days and why somebody gets them in 14 days. I don't know. Uh, there might be somebody out there that does. Uh, but um, what we have seen, and so that's what shaped our, uh, our, our isolation and our quarantine uh, guidelines back then. So you remember that back then, if you got infected, we said the isolation period is 10 days. And that was based on how long it seemed that you shed the virus where you could then infect somebody else. Then for the quarantine period, that's really tied to the incubation period. The quarantine period is you've been exposed, but you're not sick yet. How long do you need to stay secluded? So in case you are infected, you don't infect somebody else. So that's the period that you would say, okay, um, it's 14 days for the quarantine because that's how long it can take to develop symptoms. Um, and so uh, that's where that guidance came from. Now, with time, we began to suspect that the incubation period was shortening as we saw these more transmissible variants. And in fact, there's some evidence to suggest that's right. There was a study done. Uh, most of the listeners will remember BA5, but not have any context for when that was. We saw that back in 22. Um, and that's one of the Omicron variants. And in fact, a study looking at the incubation period then showed it had shortened. It was now 4.8 to 6.6 days. So we do think this, the incubation period is sh has shortened. Then the serial interval, as I was talking about, is addressing exactly what you were talking about, Samantha. So let's say, let's use that uh, scenario you just said the my wife got infected okay well if we're trying to figure out when your wife got infected then we would look back to that period of incubation period ahead of time and say okay what was she doing where she was at risk when was she around other people was she around anybody that subsequently said hey i turned positive and became sick i want you to know because i exposed you or was it somebody at work or did you go to an event those kind of things we can try to figure out where they got infected the serial in interval is different the serial interval is now well my wife got sick on monday but i got sick on wednesday well, so that's two days. That's a serial interval. That's not the incubation period. But because the serial interval is so short, what that tells us is what we realized very early with this virus, people were transmitting it before they developed symptoms. Because mm -hmm. for me to get sick two days after my wife did meant that I really, if you think about this incubation period, let's say that is this more recent 4.8 to 6.6 .6 days. Well, I probably, she got infected and then she probably infected me four or five days ago, but now I'm just showing the symptoms in two days later. So the serial interval is really helpful in telling us, are people transmitting before they get sick? If that serial interval was longer than the incubation period, then we know, okay, it's not a big risk because you're going to get symptoms before you're contagious. Okay, we've got about two minutes left. Why is this information so important, finding this out? This is really important because uh, many people are aware that the CDC is getting ready to 
reissue isolation guidance. So as we talked about at the beginning of the pandemic, they said isolate for 10 days. And that was totally based on the science. Then people will remember it, it was late fall of 21, as I remember, uh, that they shortened it to five days. Mm-hmm. It was really not that the science had changed, but we were facing the real problem of our hospitals getting overloaded and we couldn't get healthcare workers back. So they shortened the period. They didn't really intend it for it to be the whole population, but they didn't clarify that. And so everybody started shortening it to five days. Well, now we all know what's happening today. People aren't testing. People are going to work sick. They're going to school sick. Mm-hmm. And so the CDC is going to try to re-establish their um, isolation guidance. And so, uh, in fact, I was just on a call earlier offering some uh, suggestions about how to approach this because we do have to deal with the fact that people certainly aren't isolating for even the five days, let alone 10 days. So how are we going to handle this and yet protect vulnerable people? That's the big question. And to do that, you have to know about the incubation period, the serial interval and the viral shedding. And one of the unfortunate things is that most of this is science that's, uh, when I researched it, most of the data is from 2021. We haven't done a lot of recent studies. And Shame on the CDC and NIH. We should have been. Wow. Great information as always, um, Dr. Pate. We're going to put a link to this blog post and uh, uh, highly recommend checking it out. We've been speaking with Dr. David Pate, former CEO of St. Luke's Health System and a current member of the Idaho Coronavirus Task Force. If you have a health question, send us an email, idahomatters at boisestate.edu. We'll ask it next week, Dr. Pate. As always, great information. Oh, thank you, Samantha. Thanks for listening to Idaho Matters. Boise State Public Radio and Idaho Matters are members of the NPR Network. It's an independent coalition of public media podcasters. You can find more shows in the network wherever you get your podcasts. I'm Samantha Wright. We'll see you tomorrow. Black perspectives haven't always been centered in the telling of America's story. Now, we're taking center stage. Introducing NPR's Black Stories, Black Truths, a collection of Black-led stories from NPR's podcasts. Search NPR Black Stories, Black Truths wherever you get your podcasts.